Let's stand and take our Bibles, please. We're going to look at two passages of Scripture. You have to have an Old Testament, so neighbors look around you. If you're, someone next to you doesn't have an Old Testament or a complete Bible, share your Bible with them this morning. I want you to turn first to the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah, chapter 8, it's the longest book in the New Old Testament, 66 chapters, so you shouldn't have trouble finding it, but Isaiah chapter 8, if you'll turn there, please. We're glad to have you here this morning, and we're praying God will do a great work in your heart. While you're turning there, I want to give you a couple of infomercials that are important. Uh, this Thursday and Friday, we're moving our midweek service on Wednesday night, our midweek Bible study time. Uh, to Thursday night, we have uh, Pastor J.D. Howell of First Baptist Church of Bridgeport, Michigan with us. Pastor Howell has, uh, is, took over the, uh, the church from uh, Dr. Arby Ouellette last May. And Brother Howell's doing a fantastic job. He's been with the church for many, many years as an assistant pastor and has just fit right in. But I, I asked him to come. I preached for him last summer and asked him if he'd come and preach for our workers' conference we're having this weekend. And it'll be Thursday, Friday, and starting Thursday night at 5 o'clock. We have an early bird, early bird meeting. And hope some of you can get off a little bit early to join us for just, a, just kind of a kicker offer. Then we'll have dinner here at the church. And then uh, we'll have the service on Thursday night. And then Friday afternoon, we have workshops all afternoon to kind of sharpen us and help us as we seek to serve the Lord better. And he's going to lead several, work, most of the workshops he's going to lead. And then we have our service on Friday night, which will be great. And then Saturday, we just have a great outreach opportunity Saturday. So I want, want to encourage you to be here for that. If you've not signed up and registered, you need to do so so you can participate in the meals with us. And that'll be great for that. So it's going to be a great, great time. And uh, we're just looking forward to great preaching and for the Lord working in our hearts uh, through this workers' conference just to shore us up and help us as we serve the Lord. And uh, thank you for many of you already who've gotten um, permission from your employer to take off work that uh, Friday and for the Friday sessions. And if some of you still have not gotten that approval, we hope that you will and that you'll join us for that. And then starting Sunday, next Sunday, March 1st, we're on what we call our 40-day church journey. And this 40-day church journey is in preparation for the Easter services that will happen on April 11th and 12th. And we're looking forward to our Easter musical and a number of special outreach opportunities. Great time for us as a church really to rally together and reaching people with the gospel. And we're going to have a, a prospect card for all of you inside your bulletin next week or as you walk in. And regardless of what your age is, we want you to take that prospect card, take ownership in that, and put down some names of people that you want to invite to the Easter musical and to our services that we'll pray, <coughs> Lord, work in their hearts for salvation. And I'm reminded this morning of one lady that we reached uh, for a friend day a couple years ago, <coughs> and she put her husband down on that list. And last Easter, her husband got saved, and we didn't know this would happen, but uh, the Lord took her husband home this past, no past November there. And, uh, you know, I didn't know that he got gotten saved. She didn't really share with me and tell me that, but I found out he got saved during the Easter musical there, and many others like that. And so, a great opportunity for people to hear the gospel. And as the choir sang today, just a moment ago, about the blood of Jesus Christ and Christ being raised from the dead, these are wonderful days for that. We'll be announcing a little bit more in particular about the things part of this 40-day journey, the special events going on we want you to pray about, different outreach reach opportunities around the Bay Area that we're going to have, and then some days of prayer and fasting we're going to ask the church to take, um, to participate in if you're, you're physically able to, and other things like this. It's going to be a great time for us to work together for that, some church projects, and I want you just to get rallying around that, and everybody can have a part in that. It'll be a good thing for everybody there. All right, Isaiah chapter 8, say amen if you're there. All right, now this is going to be challenging because in the very first verse, we have the name of a son that is probably seven syllables. 
And uh, if you're looking for a good name for your son, I'm going to try to pronounce it. I don't know if I'll do a good job, but I'm going to try to pronounce it today. But we're going to look at that. He's not our focal point this morning. And then we're going to go from there to 2 Kings so you can get a feel for what we're going to be talking about tonight, this morning on this. And believe it or not, this is history making. You're going to be so thankful I did this. It's a two-point message. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Man, you're happy now. Amen. Some of you are thinking, man, we get to go to lunch in half an hour earlier. Well, I didn't tell you how many subpoints, but it's a two-point message, amen. <laughs> it's good. It's all good. Be back here tonight. We'll be back in Revelation. We're working our way through prophecy. Hey, listen, everything happening in the world right now is a foretaste of Bible prophecy. It's alive. I want to preach you a passage tonight about a man by the name of Antipas, but I want to talk about the church he's from. And the title of the message is, The Church That the Gates of Hell Could Not Prevail Against. It's good. But we'll see the second part next week. I'll tell you the title of that message next week. But you need to come for that just to say, man, am I an Antipas Christian? Because we need that today. And today we're going to look at something I'll probably be very encouraging to you. Whether this is the first time you're at church or you've been here for a long time, it's a very encouraging passage. Chapter 8, verse 1. Moreover, the Lord said unto me, now he's talking to Isaiah, take thee a great roll, and he's talking about a parchment now, okay, a roll, and he said, write in it with a man's pen concerning, now watch this, Maher Shalal Hashbaz, can you say that? Maher Shalal Hashbaz, you're a good Hebrew, you said it good, amen? And I took unto me faithful witnesses to record Uriah the priest, and Zechariah, the son of Jerobachiah. And I went into the prophetess, and she conceived and bare a son. Then said the Lord to me, call his name Maher Shalal Hashbaz. For before the child shall have knowledge to cry, my father and my mother. The riches of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria shall be taken away before the king of Assyria. Now there's a break point. We're transitioning. Verse 5. The Lord spake also unto me again, saying, For as much as this people refuses the waters of Shiloh. Now who's he talking about, the people refusing that? He's talking about King Ahaz, the city of Jerusalem, and the nation of Judah. God's already told him, we saw this last week, don't worry about this confederacy between Syria and Israel against you. It won't happen. They won't bother you. But notice what God says here. For as much as this people refuses the waters of Shiloh, they go softly and rejoice in reason. Now, reason was the, the, king, uh, the king of Syria and Remaliah's son, whose name is Pekah, he said, now therefore, behold, the Lord bringeth up upon them the water of the river, strong and many, even the king of Assyria, and all his glory, and he shall come up over all his channels and go over all his banks, and he shall pass through Judah, and he shall overflow and go over, he shall reach even to the neck, 
and the stretching out of the wings shall fill the breadth of the land, O Emmanuel. Now we're going to read this again. Keep your finger there. I want you to go to 2 Kings very quickly because I want you to catch the idea because we don't have a lot of time. I don't want you to have this background so you can see what's going on here. Go to 2 Kings so we can understand what's going on in Ahaz's mind. Go to verse 1, 2 Kings 16. Please help your neighbor who doesn't understand, can't find their way in the Bible to find their place. 2 Kings 16. Say amen if you're there. Okay, please, please make sure everybody's there. This is good, okay? By the way, by the way, this is history. This is true world history. One of, one of the things you can look to that points to the veracity of the Bible being God's word, being all truth, is it's historically correct. It's historic. Say amen. It's historically correct, okay? When I say something like that's the truth, you need to say amen to that. You believe that, okay? Amen just says I believe it. Amen? That's all it means. I believe it, okay? Now, notice chapter 16, verse 1. In the 17th year of Pekah, the son of Remaliah, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. 20 years old was Ahaz when he began to reign. He reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord his God, like David his father. But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, yea, and made his son to pass through the fire. Now, thank God that wasn't Hezekiah, but he, made, he put one of his sons through the fire. According to the abomination of the heathen, whom the Lord cast out from before the children of Israel. And he sacrificed and burnt incense in the high places and on the hills under every green tree. In other words, whatever idolatry was there, he proliferated it and made it more, more, more abundant. He, he just made idol, idolatry and pagan worship much more abundant there in the kingdom. Now notice what happens here, verse 5. Then reason, king of Syria, and Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to war, and they besieged Ahaz. But what does it say? But could not overcome him. Now, who, who, who took care of that? God did, right? God said it won't happen, okay? They could not overcome him. And at that time, reason, king of Syria, recovered Eloth to Syria, and drave the Jews from Eloth. And the Syrians came to Eloth and dwelt there this day. Would you notice verse 7 and 8? So Ahaz, Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pilasar, king of Assyria, saying, I am thy servant and thy son. Come up and save me out of the hand of the king of Syria and out of the hand of the king of Israel, which rise up against me. And Ahaz took the silver and the gold that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasures of the king's house, and sent it for a present to the king of Assyria. Would you notice the first half of verse 9? And the king of Assyria hearkened unto him. Go back to chap chapter 8 of Isaiah once again. There's some things I want to drive home I want you to get this morning. We'll sit down in just a moment. You'll sit down at least. Would you look at verse 7 and 8 again? Actually, verse 6 to 8. For as much as this people, that's King Ahaz and the Jews of Judah, refuses the waters of Shiloh, then go softly and rejoice in reason and Remaliah's son. Now therefore, behold, the Lord bringeth upon them, that is upon Judah and upon Ahaz, the waters of the river, 
strong, and many. And he's referring here, the idea is the overflowing torrent of the Euphrates River at flood time. Very dangerous waters. Level five of rapids. Strong and many, even the king of Assyria and all his glory. And he shall come up over all his channels and over all his banks. In other words, the analogy here is that the armies of Assyria are likened to the overflowing, fast-paced, fast-moving rapids of the torrents of the Euphrates River. Would you notice verse 8? And he shall pass through Judah, and he shall overflow and go over, he shall reach even to the neck. How many of you heard you have ever heard of the term, the, 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 the American idiom, the Western idiom, I'm up to my neck in trouble? You ever been there? You ever said that? I'm up to my neck in trouble. You ever said that? I'm up to my neck in homework. I'm up to my neck in debt. I'm up to my neck in problems. You ever said that? That's where we got it from, right there. Right there. And verse 8, he shall pass through Judah, and he shall overflow and go over. He shall reach even to the neck. Now notice it didn't say, it didn't say that he would, he would go over Judah. It just said he would go over, okay? It's because it says he passed through, and it shall reach to the neck. Now as long as your head is above water, you're still alive. Amen? And I want to preach a message this morning entitled, Keep your head above the water. Keep your head above the water. How are we going to do that? When you've got trouble, how do you keep your head above the water? Now, Father, today we are thankful for this very colorful passage of Scripture we're reading. Bible history that occurred. And very relevant and specific and pointed and necessary lessons for the people of God and the visitors here today. And Father, I thank you that the Word of God is alive. It's sharp. It's a sharp two-edged sword. The Bible says it's alive of itself. And Lord, this morning, I need you to make it alive. I need you this morning to work through your Word to help us understand a scriptural principle, how do we keep our head above the water when the waters are rising? And God, how it teaches us about some important aspects of Christian living. And Lord, it teaches us how to find Jesus Christ as our Savior. And I pray this morning that God, you take away the sleepiness and the weariness and the indifference and the complacency and the callousness, and the overwhelming troubles. And for some here this morning, they're up to their neck in problems. They're in the flood tide. They're facing it right now. But God, I thank you in spite of all that, that you are the waters of Shiloh. And thank you, dear God, they're soft waters and they're calm waters. I thank you today that you're Emmanuel in spite of all of that. 
I thank you today that you're the God who never fails. And Father, this morning, would you love on your church today through this passage of Scripture and love on your people. And Lord, I pray that you'd fill our hearts with gladness and make your face to shine upon us today. And I pray, oh God, today that the power of God would come on this passage of Scripture as it speaks to us about keeping your head above water. Well, thank you for this in Jesus' name. And amen. You may be seated. The life of King Ahaz is found in 2 Kings 16, 2 Chronicles 28. He kind of encompasses Isaiah chapter 7 through 11. And we need to understand some history here so we can understand our passage of Scripture. King Ahaz was the 11th king of Judah. The kingdom of Israel, if you remember, under David was united, 12 tribes. He passed it on to his his son Solomon, and there were no wars during Solomon's time. In fact, his very name means peace. And Solomon's kingdom was one of peace. But Solomon had a son by the name of Rehoboam. Rehoboam was given the kingdom. He had never fought a battle. He never seen bloodshed. He never got his hands dirty. He didn't know what it meant to take a stand. He didn't know what it meant to live for God. And Rehoboam was a young man who was a second, third generation believer that had been indulged upon and everything been given to him. And I want to say today, for all of you second, third generation Christians, get your hands dirty for Jesus. Do something for the Lord. You're going you're to have the church passed down to you. Don't ruin the church, amen? Don't mess it up. There's a lot of prices been paid, a lot of sweat, blood, and tears to get us to where we're at, and there's still more to be done. By the way, the best is still to come, amen? And this man, Rehoboam, this man, Rehoboam, to tell you how cocky he was and foolish he was, he said, uh, he, had the, he had the people come to him. They said, now, Rehoboam, if you want your kingdom to do well, you need to lighten up on the people a little bit. His father had been a little hard <coughs> when he was uh, towards the latter days of his reign. And he said, just let up a little bit on the people. He said, don't be so harsh on them. And that's good, that's good counsel. That's good advice. We're younger. We're, we're full of vinegar and a lot of, lot of seven up. And we're a little bit hard sometimes. Amen, you know. And so he said, uh, they said, lighten up a little bit. And so he said, okay, let me, let me get some counsel here. I've heard from the older men. Let me get from the younger men. And he went to all the men that were his peers, men without experience, men that had not proven themselves, men that did not have the mind of God nor the presence of Jesus Christ in their life. He asked these young men, what do you think? They said, uh, here's what you should do. He said, make it even harder on the people than your father did. And so he did. And there was rebellion in the, in the country because First of all, he was a young man who had not proven himself. Secondly, he exercised bad counsel. He listened to the counsel of his young men. That's a whole different message there. Don't get me started on that. Amen, you know? But he, uh, he did that, and the kingdom became divided. And it's bad. Now, we read about it, but you have to understand an entire nation. I mean, you think about the worst the United States had was a civil war. It was almost like that. Ten, ten of the tribes became what we know as the northern, the, northern, the northern nation. And two of the tribes, that was Judah and Benjamin, became the southern nation. It was split. As we read our passage of Scripture, we're seeing that Israel was adversarial to Judah. All of the kings from Rehoboam down, all of the kings in Israel 
were bad kings. I mean, when I say bad, they were bad, amen, you know? I mean, they were evil, they were wicked. They were idol worshipers, they just they didn't do anything good for God. There was no, there was a one righteous king among all the men of Israel. But in the lineage of Judah, the majority of the kings were good kings. Ahaz had a father by the name of Jotham who was a good king for the most part. He had a grandfather whose name was Uzziah. We saw him in chapter 6. For the most part, he was a good king, except for the latter part of his life. Ahaz, as we read, was not a good king. He did not live for God. He worshipped pagan idols. In fact, if you read with a tender heart what he did, he brought, he brought uh, defiled things into the temple, and he left a mess in the temple. He closed up the house of God. I mean, there's just things he did. I mean, he sacrificed, he, he followed pagan worship and sacrificed his own son and children into the fire to follow after the worship of the god Molech. I mean, just things like that. He was just, the atrocities this man did. And in spite of all that, would you notice something here? In spite of all that, now if you look at him, he's just, you read all these things here, it just, it makes my blood boil when I read about Ahaz. But when you read all this, it's amazing. God loved that man. By the way, God loves you. There is nobody so sinful, God doesn't love them. Amen. I mean, God loved this man. And God loved him so much, he sent the prophet Isaiah to him. And remember, Isaiah was a prophet to about four of the kings. And Isaiah comes to him with this message. about, And, and, and in that message, God, and by the way, God loves to use object illustrations. And God loves to use uh, metaphors and analogies and things like that so that we can understand his principles and his word. And, and so he took Isaiah and he says, well, you know, Isaiah, why don't you take your first son? And his first son, his name was Shear Jashab. And he said, basically, his, that, that son's name means that a remnant shall return. And it was an encouragement to him as he came with his first son to King Ahaz in chapter 7. He says, this is basically to encourage King Ahaz that, uh, you know what, this confederacy of Israel and Syria, they want to attack you. They want to take your riches. They want to control you. Israel is trying to unite the kingdom their way. And God said, it's not going to happen. He said, they won't bother you. He said, I'll take care of them. And we saw that in Second Kings. And then again, but Ahaz didn't believe that. And God said, well, listen. He, he looked at Ahaz's face. In fact, the time when Isaiah came to him, uh, Ahaz was up at the upper conduit where a channel of water was coming in. He was trying to figure out how to fortify the water so that their water supply would not be attacked. In those days, just like today, if you want to win a battle, the first thing you do, you find those vulnerable spots. You attack their food supply and their water supply, and you, you, you attack those sensitive areas of their infrastructure, and uh, you try to do that so it disrupts their transportation and all of those kinds of things like that. And he thought, well, I've got to take care of this. And the prophet Isaiah comes with a message from God, says, you don't have to do that. But he looked at his face, and he recognized that Ahaz didn't believe a word that he said. And so God says, okay, I'll tell you what. Why don't you ask of me? He says, you ask of the depth beneath or the heavens above. He says, in other words, I'm going to give you a blank, blank checkbook and you could ask what you want. And he says, I'll give you a sign. Just ask me anything and I'll give you a sign. But he said, I will not ask of the Lord, neither will I tempt God. And so he said, I won't ask anything of God. He says, and so God, God, God is patient with him and God is long-suffering. And by the way, I'm thankful God's long-suffering with you and me too. Amen, you know? And so he's patient with this. So he comes again, chapter eight. Look at chapter eight here. And he says in chapter 8, he says, here, I want you to do. He said, I want you to take a great roll. He says, take a big parchment, okay? And um, 
He said, I want you to take a, a pen, probably was a feather pen of some kind with a man's pen. He says, I want you to write in there the name of a son. Now, God told Isaiah, you're going to have a second son. And that son had not been born yet. And we just saw this son's name, a several-syllable name, Mahir, Shalal, Habash, okay? And he says, you're going to write this son's name down there. And basically, it, it, his son has, his, that son's name meant basically that, uh, that the king of Assyria be swift in overcoming Israel. It's basically what the name would mean, overcoming Israel and Syria. And so this na name was given. But Again, God loved Ahaz so much, he gave him a second sake, an indication. He says, here's a second son. And the second son is just an indication to you, like the first son, that you're not going to be bothered by Israel and by Syria. Now, I don't know about you. If God sent his prophet to me right now and said, it is going to happen, I'm going to believe the prophet of God. I'm just going to believe the man of God, okay, on that. And uh, I'm just going to believe that's what God told him because it was thus saith the Lord. But uh, King Ahaz, remember now, King Ahaz wasn't all together with him, and he wouldn't believe that. So God, God had to tell Ahaz something that would be very bothersome. And so he said, Ahaz, okay, you, you, and he starts this in chapter 7, and he said in chapter 7, if you go back there, verse 17, he said, the Lord shall bring upon thee and upon thy people and upon thy father's house days that have not come uh, from the days that, uh, that Ephraim departed from Judah. And he says, listen, something bad's going to happen to you, Ahaz. Days will come upon you that have not happened since the day that Israel and Judah split. They, they, the kingdom was divided. And he said in chapter 7, verse 17, even the king of Assyria. Now he comes back and he re reinforces that now. Chapter, chapter 8 verses 5 to 8. He's saying look he already knew Ahaz was working in his mind. He already knew what was going on. He saw the wheels turning in Ahaz's mind because Ahaz is thinking listen I don't believe that. He says, what I really need to do is I need to have an alliance with, king, with the king of Assyria. I need to have an alliance with Tiglath-Pilassar and have an alliance with him. And I've already figured out where I'm going to get the money to pay this guy. I'm going to basically hire him as a mercenary to fight on my behalf and to, and to represent me here. And that's not what God wanted for him. And so God tells King Ahaz, okay, if that's what you're going to do, he says, you have now refused the waters of Shiloh. You've now refused my counsel. You've now refused what I said I'm going to do for you. You've now refused my comfort and my protection. You've now refused my salvation. May I say this morning, do not refuse the salvation of the Lord. Amen. And he said, do, you've now refused my salvation. So he says, I'll tell you what I'm going to do now. He says, now, the king of Assyria is not just going to come after them. He's coming after you. What you're going to do when they come for you. Amen. You know, he said, they're going to come for you. And he says, you refuse the waters of Shiloh. And he said, what, well, here's what's going to happen. He says, the king of Assyria will come like the great mighty Euphrates River when it overflows its banks, when the snow is melting and the rivers are running and it overflows its banks. And everybody knows you better get out of the way. You better not try to cross that water because it's, it's very perilous and it's, it's filled with perils and trouble and you could drown. And he says, the waters are going to overflow. And, he, and he, if you can imagine what God is telling him, he says, these waters are going to flow down all the way from, from, from where, uh, of, uh, uh, Assyria, which is modern-day Iran. They're going to flow the way down to Judah. Now, it's not literal waters, but he's giving, trying to get, paint a picture in his mind. He says, the king of Assyria will be, the armies that will come down here will be like this great flowing river. And they'll make their way down here. And he says, notice what he says in verses 7 and 8. He says here, now see, they'll come, and they'll come over all his channels and over all his banks, and he shall pass over Judah. And he says here, he shall overflow and go over, and he shall reach 
even to the neck. You know, God is telling, 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 telling King Ahaz, he says, now listen, you, because you refuse me, you're going to be up to your neck in trouble. You're going to be up to your neck in problems. You're going to be up to your neck. You're going to be wondering if you're going to make it. I mean, when you're up to your neck in water, you're just trying to keep your head above water. And if you're not a good swimmer, you, I mean, you've got a lot of fear going through. Your adrenaline's going triple time over, quadruple time over, because you're wondering, am I even going to make it? And when we know that, our, that we're in bad trouble when, our, when, when the water's up to our neck, but I want to tell you this morning, you're in bad trouble when the water's up, up, up to your neck, but as long as your head is above the water, you're still alive. And as long as your head is above the water, you can still breathe. And as long as your head is above the water, you're going to make it. And as long as your head is above the water, there's still hope. And as long as your head above the water, you can still see. And as long as your head is above the water, you can still think. And by the way, as long as your head is above water, you're still going to go on in spite of all that. And he's telling, he's singing Ahaz here, listen, I'm going to let the waters come up, but your head's going to be above the water. We want to see this morning, what do you do when the water's up to your neck? What do you do when you barely think you want, you wonder if you're gonna even make it past the problem? It could be someone's up to their neck in trouble and up to their neck in debt and up to their neck in spiritual problems and up to their neck in spiritual issues. What do you do when those situations happen? We're gonna see this morning. How do you keep your head above the water? Notice one, number one this morning. I want you to notice the pathway to trouble. The pathway to trouble. The bottom line with King Ahaz here, and I gave you all this back, I gotta preach the message because we're almost done. King Ahaz got himself in trouble here because he wouldn't trust God. Now that sounds so simple, but do you know that's, that's our problem too? 90% of our problems is because we don't trust God. We won't trust his word. We won't put our trust in him. We have partial trust. Listen, you know this. If you only have partial trust, you don't trust all the way. If you don't trust, you don't have confidence. If you don't trust your spouse, you're, 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 you just have these, you have, these, you have these fears. If you don't trust your pastor, you have these fears. If you don't trust the person next to you, you have these fears. I mean, you, you, you just feel that way there. And this man, his problem was he did not, he would not trust the Lord. Now, he didn't, he didn't want to trust God because he wanted to do it his way. He wanted to find a pathway himself. He wanted to solve his own problems. He wanted to buy his way out. And he had already configured in his mind what he would do. Now, Ahaz, as I I said was already guilty of idol worship and sacrificing his children in, 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 in things. And when we read just a moment ago, there's a lot of bad things that Ahaz did. But I want to tell you about two things that were the pathway to trouble for this man that you need to understand today. And these are two things that are common among all of God's people. And two things that are common uh, for pastors and common for evangelists and missionaries and common for Christians and church members. And I would dare to tell you this morning that what I'm going to tell you, this pathway to trouble, these are things common in the heart of even the members of the heritage Baptist Church. We notice his pathway to trouble. Ahaz got his neck, got up to his neck in trouble, number one. Ahaz got up to his neck in trouble, number one, because of his conceit. Because of his conceit. Now let me define that to you for a minute. Conceit or conceitedness means we are arrogant, we are boastful, we are cocky, we're puffed up, and we think we're all self-important. How do you know that? Because when God said, Ask me of a sign. He said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. He said, I don't need God, God's help. I can figure it out my own way. We read in 2 Kings 16, he said, Israel and, and, and Syria uh, got together and were trying to fight with him. But the, the Bible says they could not overcome him. They could not prevail. I mean, God protected him. It didn't matter how God protected him. It would just matter God's word did not fail him. God said, I would take care of you. But he decided he wanted to make an alliance. So he, he goes over to the king, of, uh, the king of Assyria. He makes an alliance with him. And he does something very terrible. He takes the silver and the gold, which he had confidence. Now that silver and gold belonged in the house of God. 
God. He took God's money and those treasures and he paid off the king of Assyria to be the mercenary that would protect him. He did some bad, bad things there. Now, conceitedness is when we get to the place in life or maybe at the place in our life where we think, I don't need God. I can take care of myself. Or we get to where we think we're so self-important that we just think we're, we're hot stuff and that, that we can get it done our own way. Listen to what the Bible says about conceitedness. In Proverbs 12, verse 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. That's a conceited person. That was King Ahaz. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. I'm going to do it my way. It doesn't matter what God's way is. I'm going to try to find my way to heaven. It doesn't matter what God's word says. Proverbs 28, verse 11, the rich man is wise in his own conceit. Proverbs 12, Romans 12, 16, be, be of the same mind one towards another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Listen to this. Be not wise in, the, in your own conceits. Basically, when we're conceited, we have an, infl an inflated opinion about ourselves. When we're conceited, we tend to be stubborn and very bullheaded. When we're conceited, we will not heed biblical counsel. When we're conceited, we are a danger to people who come near to us. Many of you are familiar with a, with a fish species called the puffer fish. The puffer fish has a built-in mechanism that it was created with to ward off attacks or adversarial situations. And a puffer fish, what it will do, it will ingest large amounts of water, large amounts of, or, of air to puff itself out. Some, some species of puffer fish are very colorful. So let's other fish species know or marine species know that, that it's a puffer fish. And when it makes itself look like, I mean, that's pretty ugly. I don't know who'd want to eat that thing. But, you know, if you want, that's fine with me. Amen? You know? But it's, that's a very ugly fish. But you can imagine, it inflates itself underwater. It, it scares off other predators and Pray. Now, they ingest, you know, they ingest large amounts of water and things. It is said that uh, pufferfish contain a toxin called tetrodotoxin. And tetrodotoxin makes them foul-tasting to any, any marine species that would try to bite into it or, or eat it. And it's often lethal to fish. They say that tetrodotoxin is so deadly, it is 1,200 times more deadly and poisonous than cyanide, if you can believe that. 1,200 times more deadly or poisonous than cyanide. They say there's enough toxin in one puffer fish to kill 30 adult humans. Now, no, don't get any ideas there, whatever you're thinking right now, okay? They said there's enough toxin in one puffer fish to kill 30 adult humans, and there's no known antidote for that. Can you imagine the analogy here? There are Christians and people that are so filled with conceit and arrogance, they puff themselves up, and they think that they are, they're, they're, they're bigger than everybody else, and they're bigger than life, and they're very narcissistic in their way, and they don't need God, and they don't need the church, and they don't really not rely on the Bible, and they don't want to follow God's simple plan of salvation. They want to find their own way. They want to find some other means of getting their answers to things. And so they just puff themselves out and they scare everybody else away. And here the truth of the matter is, the greater our conceitedness, the less people want to be around us. The more we're conceited, the more we're arrogant, the more we're boastful about ourselves. And have these sly ways of saying things and trying to draw attention to ourselves. All we do is put, push people away from us. And this king, Ahaz, was a very conceited man. He was conceited in his own ways. He sought his own methods in trying to find his way and solution out. He was up to his neck in trouble because he was conceited. But notice the second thing. He was up to his neck in trouble because of compromise. Now, in 2 Kings 16, we read something very interesting. And I'll say more about this next Sunday night as we continue our second part of the passage I'll be on tonight. The Bible says in 2 Kings 16, verses 7 and 8, 
So Ahaz sent messengers to Tigath uh, Pilasar, Tigath Pilasar, uh, king, king of Assyria, saying, I am thy servant and thy son. Come up and save me out of the hand of the king of Syria and out of the hand of the king of Israel, which rises against me. I mean, that's so much a slap in the face of God. God said, I'm going to take care of you. Just ask me for a sign. And he goes up, he, and right in the face of God, he tells this king, this king of Assyria, I'm not only your servant, I'm your son. He says, I belong to you. You can treat me like one of your sons. Tigath Pilasar was much older than him. He says, you know what? Why don't you be my father? He's basically saying to God, his father, you're not my father. Father, Tiglath Pilasar is my father. I'm going to trust in a human man. And so he goes down. We read the rest of this. And in verse 7, it says here, he says, he, he prays a prayer and he says, Come to me, King, king of, he says, You king of Assyria, you come and help me. And so Ahaz took the silver and gold in verse 8, and, it, and uh, that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasure of the king's house. And he sent it for a present to the king of Assyria. You know, God, God used Assyria to overthrow Israel, but unfortunately, God had to use Assyria to chasten King, king, king Ahaz as well, there too. The very instrument of God's judgment that was to be for his benefit, God have to use, had to use it as well against King Ahaz. Ahaz messed up. He was up to his neck in trouble now because the waters would overflow. And the Bible describes in, in, Ahaz, in, in Isaiah chapter 8, he would be up to his neck in trouble. He got himself in trouble because he compromised what he was what he believed, and who he was as a believer. Now you say, Pastor Fong, what is compromise? I thought compromise is necessary in day-to-day -day living. I thought we have to have compromise in order to have mutuality. And I thought we have to have compromise in order to get along. Let me, listen to me this morning as I talk about spiritual compromise and why spiritual compromise is a sin. Spiritual compromise is unbiblical. Spiritual compromise is looked down upon with disdain by God himself. Compromise is when we give up something we should not. Compromise is when we give up something we should not in order to achieve something we do not need. It's giving up something with that we should not in order to achieve something we don't need. Compromise is changing the belief to fit the end result. Compromise is when we believe the end justifies the means. Ahaz already had the victory in his hip pocket. God said, they're not going to bother you. They're, I'm going to take care of them. And he gave him numerous things to substantiate that. But Ahaz says in his own way, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. And he tells the king of Assyria, I'm thy servant and I'm thy son. And he pays them off. Listen this morning, brother and sister in Christ, one of the great dangers of our 21st century Christianity, just as it was at that time with King Ahaz, one of our great dangers is the sin and the problem of compromise where we feel we've got to give in in order to try to reach something. We believe that the end justifies the means. We must be careful that we do we not sell out to the devil and to the flesh as he did here. We must be remember that we should not, that we're not holding hands in an alliance that is unbiblical. I say this morning, do not compromise your beliefs or your behavior. Do not compromise your testimony thinking that will get ahead. We think these little small things here, these little small things here will get us ahead. There's personal compromise. There's ecclesiastical compromise. We have to draw the line. It's important every Christian here this morning draws the line and realizing there's the line, that's not where I'm going to pass. I'm not going to move the ancient landmarks. I'm going to stay right here. I'm going to, I've got the rocks established. I'm going to stay right there. We've got to be careful that we don't, that we lead ourselves to thinking that the end justifies the means. And so we see God's word on this. Notice in Isaiah 8, 9. As, he, as he's, he's talking to King Ahaz about his compromise, he said this, 
This was a warning to him in Isaiah 8, 9. Associate yourselves, O ye people, and ye shall be broken in pieces. God does not look favorably upon unbiblical compromise. Lot compromised when he saw the well-watered plains of, of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he parted ways with Abraham. We can go over time and time again. We look at the servant of Elisha. He compromised by going over and letting uh, the covetousness he had buy him out. I mean, there are people that sell out over and over again. Judas compromised when he sold Jesus off for 30 pieces of silver. John Mark, in the early days of his ministry, compromised when he decided that he wanted, didn't want any part with what Paul and Silas, uh, Paul and Barnabas were doing, and he went back. And notice this morning, we see God has a word that's very stern about this. He said, associate yourselves, O ye people. In other words, compromise with these unholy alliances, compromise by changing your belief, compromise by changing your standards, compromise by, by getting, trying to change your belief to fit the circumstances. He says, and ye shall be broken in pieces. He says, give ear, all ye of, of far countries, gird yourselves, and ye shall be broken in pieces. Gird yourselves, and ye shall be broken in pieces. He got up to his neck in trouble because of conceit and because of compromise. He had a lot of things that he did wrong, but the two things that got him in trouble were conceit and for compromise. Let me tell you this morning, the pathway to trouble is when we try to change the Bible to fit what we wanted to say. And we try to change God to get God to be what we want God to be. You cannot change God. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. God is God. You are man. God is truth. You and I are not truth. God is holy. You and I are not holy. We must understand this morning, we cannot change God, and we should not ask God to change himself to fit our situation. Many young people here this morning, you're in the public school sitting, you're setting, you're in junior high, and you're in high school, some of you college students right now, and you're feeling the pressure of your peers. You're feeling the pressure that you've got to give in, that you've got to go to, you've got to go to the spring banquet, and you've got to go to this ball here, and you've got to drink some liquor to cop in order to look like the rest of the crowd, and you've got to game all night to just be like the rest of the gamers that game all night. You feel like if I don't do that, I don't fit in. I want to encourage you, young people, to be like a Daniel and to be like a Nazariah and be like a Mishael and be like a Hananiah and be like a Daniel David and said, I will not defile my myself the king's meat. You young people should keep yourselves pure. There should not be a drop of liquor that ever should touch your lip. You should never be in this place where you compromise and, and get yourself to where you have premarital relations when you need to keep your body holy before God. Some of you married people this morning need to understand you've got a lot of pressures at work and you've got a lot of pressures in different things. You've got pressures to cheat on your spouse and pressures to, to do things that would, be, that, would, that would hurt your children. I want to tell you this morning you don't have to compromise. You don't have to give in. You don't have to cross the line because God is for you. In spite of how this world may press you, God is for you in whatever you do. This pathway to trouble. Listen, I get invitations all the time from all the clergy. Come to our breakfast. Let's hold hands and sing kumbaya. And those clergy do not believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They do not accept the deity of Jesus Christ. They don't hold to the shed blood of Jesus Christ as being the, the atonement and the payment price for our sins. They don't hold that for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works as any man should. I can't hold hands. I want to be nice, but I'm not going to hold hands with them. I'm not going to compromise. Once you do that, you're going to compromise something else. The moment you push the line, you're going to push it somewhere else. Listen, you've got to draw the line to sand. Decide where you stand for Jesus Christ. Listen, don't compromise the Bible. The Bible is God's word. 
It's the truth of God's word. Listen, we don't have to compromise God's word. God's word is real to us. I'm just saying this morning, I'm not going to go off on all that today. I'm just saying today, we must put a guard around ourselves and realize that what got Ahaz in trouble was the fact that he compromised his convictions. He compromised the very things of God. He compromised his faith. He compromised the truth of God's word. And God said, associate yourselves and ye shall be broken. Listen, nobody, no Christian that ever compromised ever succeeded. Never succeeded. But I want you to see number two. And I promise you it's a two-point sermon. Amen? You, somebody's so happy with you. You're going to shake my hand when you leave this morning. Amen? Number one, we see the pathway to trouble. Number two, very quickly, would you notice the priority of trust? We're almost done. The priority of trust. He's up to his neck in water. Now, you've got to read seven, eight, nine, and ten all together to understand where I'm going to go with this. What do you do when you're up to your neck in trouble, Brother Charles? What do you do when you're up to your neck in trouble, Brother Tick? Brother Ellier? Brother Anthony? What do you do when the neck, you're up to your neck in water? You trust God. Oh, Pastor, I gave an offering. I expected something more esoteric than that. It doesn't get any more esoteric than that, Amen. Have faith in God. Trust the Lord, but it gets a little better than that. You see, when we're up, we're up when, we, when we put our trust in God, I want to give you some thoughts before I tell you how to do this. When we put our trust in God, we're putting all our faith in Him. We're letting go and letting God. When you put your trust in the Lord, He is plan A, there is no plan B. When you put your trust in God, you're committing your problem and the outcome to Him. You're not sure how it's going to unfold. You're just saying, God, I'm going to trust you for it. Amen? When you put your trust in God, you're not tampering with that trust. You're not second-guessing that trust. You're trusting God completely. Listen, trusting God completely is the only fail-safe way we're going to make it. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. How do you trust the Lord then? How do you trust the Lord? Well, notice he shows us four things about the Lord that if you apply this this morning, it'll help you. Four things about the Lord that you can trust in. You ready? Number one, you can trust the Lord because he's Emmanuel. He's Emmanuel. Because you notice in chapter 7, the name Emmanuel is given twice. Once here, excuse me, and once again in chapter 8. Emmanuel means God with us. And so God told, we'll go back to chapter 7, notice verses 12 to 14. He says this, okay, you won't ask a sign of me, therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Okay? You know, God, God, God knows how we are. He knows we're so bullheaded, stubborn. He says, okay, you're not going to ask, but I'll give it to you anyway. And he said, now, he said, now, I've sent Isaiah to you. And Isaiah came with two of his earthly sons, Shear Jashub. And Maher Shalal Hashbaz, I think I said it right, amen? And he said, I sent him, I sent Isaiah to you with two of his sons, and both those sons 
are assigned to you to tell you that you're in good hands. I'm going to take care of you. The Assyrians will not bother you. I'm raising them up as a world power to conquer, to overthrow Israel and Syria from what they're going to do. And in fact, he told them this. He said, 65 years from this event, Israel will no longer exist as a nation. They will merge in with Assyria and there'll be the blending of the two nations and then we'll, we'll call them Samaria, that, uh, Samaritans at that point. And he says, but you don't have to worry about that. But he realized that King Ahaz would not listen. Would you listen to this? So he told him about two sons, but I want to tell you this morning, there was a greater son he had to tell him about. Amen? There was a greater son, a son that's from on high, and a son that's infinite, and a son that's God, and a son that's mighty, and a son that's holy, and a son that would, would come and be born of a virgin. He says, therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign, he said in verse 14. And behold, a virgin shall conceive. That's humanly impossible. Virgins cannot conceive. There must be a father as well as a mother for a child to conceive. He was talking about an event that would happen a few, a couple thousand years later when the Holy Spirit of God would come on Mary and that, that servant of God that she would conceive a son by the Holy Spirit. I mean, she conceived and bore a son. She said, here, listen, you can trust us. She shall bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Go with me to chapter 8, verse 8. Notice what he says here. And he shall pass through Judah, and he shall overflow and go over. He shall reach even to the neck, and the stretching out of his wings shall fill the breadth of thy land. Oh, Emmanuel. In other words, he's saying here, I want you to understand something. Listen, the king of Assyria is going to come, and he's going to overflow the banks, <coughs> if you would, pictorially speaking. And you'll be up to your neck in water. And he's saying, oh, this is so bad. He says, he shall fill the breadth of thy land. Oh, Emmanuel. It's like, oh, God, know my problem today. But notice, as he said, oh, Emmanuel, he's saying, God, you're going to have to help us. And God, he's saying, he said, oh, God, he's going to fill the breath of lead and we're going to be up to our neck in trouble. Oh, Emmanuel, listen, that's how you and I are when we're up to our neck in trouble. You're up to your neck in problems. You're up to your neck in fear. You're up to your neck in debt. You're up to your neck in difficulty. You're saying, oh, God, I need you. Oh, God, I, I want to tell you this morning, God is there for you. I mean, God is with you and God is for you. And you can trust God to help you through your situation. He's there for you, amen? I mean, God is there for you and I to get us through that circumstance, that situation. We say, oh, Emmanuel, oh, God is with us. I want to tell you some good news this morning. God is with you this morning, amen? He's with you and he's for you. And what shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Listen, we can trust in Emmanuel, your Emmanuel. I'm telling you this morning, it wasn't just any man. It was the man, Christ Jesus. Not any man, but God manifested the flesh. You're not in any trouble with King Ahaz. God is with you. And I want to tell you here at the church, here at the Baptist Church member, and here at the Baptist Church in attendee, you're not in any trouble. You may have the neck, be up to your neck in water, but Emmanuel's with you there. And by the way, notice at chapter 8, verse 6, this people refuses the waters of Shiloh. Oh, when you obey God, he leads you beside the still waters. When you obey God, he's the Lord who's your shepherd. When you obey God, he makes you to lie down and pass the righteousness. Now, making means he forces us. That's strong preaching. People don't like coming to Baptist churches sometimes because they're afraid of strong preaching. Well, it's thus saith God. If we don't have strong preaching, how are we going to know what God wants us to do? Amen? Now, I don't know about you. I sure like to be standing and, and sitting down beside still waters, not raging torrents. There's something about still waters that gets my attention. You skip rocks better on still waters. Amen? You fish better in still waters. At least if you're an inexperienced fisherman like me, amen? Still waters is Jesus comforting your soul. Still waters is Jesus saying, it may be up to your neck, but you can trust me. 
Number one, you can trust the Lord because he's your Emmanuel. Number two, very quickly, look at chapter eight, verses 13 to 14. You can trust the Lord because he's your rock. Amen? Amen. Would you notice this? And yet, I gave you all the background so you can understand where God's coming from. He says, sanctify the Lord of hosts himself. In other words, you know what? Go back and see God is holy. That's what he's saying there. Go back to that place and saying God is holy. And let him be your fear. Don't, don't let the king, don't, don't be afraid of Syria and Israel. Let God be your fear. Listen, God is bigger than our problems, amen? amen. The, we may be up to our neck in water, but God is bigger than that. And he says, let him be your fear and let him be your trust. Trust God. If you have to fear anything, fear God. And he says, and he shall be for a sanctuary. Now, that's, that's a blessing because you know what? When you're up to your neck in water, it's, it's kind of difficult to get to church at those times. The hardest thing for a lot of us to do is when we're overwhelmed with our troubles and difficulties is go to church. Let me encourage you. When you have trouble, get to church. You have burdens, get to church. You're diagnosed with cancer, get to church. When you have a cold, get to church. Well, don't come to church right now. Don't come to church if you have a cold. If you got a cough, don't come to church, amen? Your temperature's up, don't come to church, Amen? At least for a little while, till they come with a vi- till they come with an antidote. Okay, amen. So people think, man, I can go to church. I can- I'm sneezing, coughing. I can come to church, right? No, don't come. Amen. He should be for sanctuary, a place of worship. place of still waters, a place where God just loves all over you, amen? But he said, for those who are against you, those who defy my word, listen, that rock, that rock for you and me is like a rock of Gibraltar. It's a rock you can climb on and it'll keep, as long as the water doesn't go above your head, you're okay. And you can climb on the rock, listen, Jesus is a rock you can stand on, Amen? You can stand on that rock and you won't sink. Listen, you get to stand on the Lord who's your rock. Your head's above water. You get to climb up on top a little bit higher. You're above the water. Listen, as long as Jesus is your rock, you're always above the water. Amen? Amen. But if you don't, make him your rock. He said in verse 14, it's a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Have you ever tripped over a rock? I have. It's not pleasant. Because there's other rocks around. You follow those other rocks. Amen? And you just say to yourself, I wish I saw that rock. And he says, you know, Jesus, if you don't, if you don't trust the Lord as your rock, he's going to be a stone of stumbling and a rock of, of offense to both the house of Israel and for a gin and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Listen, this morning, you can trust the Lord because he's your Emmanuel. You can trust the Lord because he's your rock. But notice verses 16 and 20. You can trust the Lord in his eternal counsel. Here's what's going on. They rejected God's word. One of our biggest difficulties we have is trusting God's word, that it's truthful, it's faithful, and God will do what he said. By the way, I believe God will do what he says. Amen? And so notice what he said. He gives this prophecy to Isaiah to tell him, and he says in verse 16, bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples. That's what he's doing right now. He's tying it all together. And he says, I will wait upon the Lord that hideth his face from the house of Jacob, and I will look for him. And that's what you need to do. You say, I'm finding difficulty. I mean, I understand your neck is above the water, but you can keep your head above the water. Just, just wait on the Lord and stand on that rock and look for him and trust him. But notice what happened here. 
Isaiah said, verse 18, Behold, I, the children whom the Lord has given me, are for signs and for wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts, which dwell in Mount Zion. Now, here's what Isaiah was saying. Listen, God gave me my two sons as signs and wonders to declare to King Ahaz and all of Judah that God, God's in control. And God, God's going to protect us. And God's going to take care of things. And just, we got to trust him. He says, I, the children whom the Lord has given. But the people. Now, he gives us some insight. What Ahaz and the people were doing. Would you notice this now? Now, this is supposed to be a spiritual king. He says, and when they shall say unto you, seek unto them that have familiar spirits, and unto wizards that peep and that mutter, should not a people seek unto the God for the living to the dead? In other words, some of them were starting to make inroads. They were not asking God for counsel. Listen to me this morning. They were not going to God for counsel. They were going to spiritual mediums, literally wizards and witches for their counsel. Now, I'm going I'm to bring that down to where you and I are at this morning. I don't think anybody here is going to wizards or witches for counsel. I hope you're not, amen? And I hope you're not trying to get your fortune told by somebody who's reading your palm. That's basically a scam, okay? Or you're reading the horoscope to try to find out what's your, what's your horoscope. People say, what's your sign? My what? Stop. Go. Yield. What's your sign? Railroad lights are flashing. I'll tell you the sign is Jesus is coming again. Horoscopes? Astrology? Now don't be offended by that. Listen to me. When they say to you, seek unto mediums. Trust the new age movement. All of that can be incorporated under two words. Four words, actually. Council of the ungodly. Our modern day, now listen to me and I'm going to be done. Our modern day means we do that as we're going to these psychotherapists who do not know the Bible, do not know God, who prescribe pharma, pharmaceuticals. By the way, the word, for, the word for witchcraft is where we get our word pharmacy from. What's the word, Brother Justin? Pharmacopoeia or something like that? Pharmacopoeia? Pharmakeia? And it's the word we get our word witchcraft from. Luke can find that in Galatians chapter 5. There's only one counsel that's trusted, that's true. That's God's word. Because notice what he says here. He says here in verse 20. To the law and to the testimony. By the way, that's what we're doing. To the law and to the testimony. If they speak not according to this word, it is because there's no light in them. That's the problem. If they're speaking something other than the word of God, it's not, there's no light in them. They don't have the light of God's word. Listen, God's word is a light into our path and a lamp into our feet. We can trust God's word this morning. I'm just saying this morning, you can trust the Lord because he's your Emmanuel. And you can trust the Lord because he's, because, because he's your rock. And you can trust the Lord because of his eternal counsel. And as I close this morning, what you notice, you can trust the Lord because he's your mighty God. Look at Isaiah 9, 6. Now, he's still talking to King Ahaz. He's talking about the darkness you're going to fall within. He talks to these people that walked in darkness. They will see a great light. And he says in Isaiah 9, 6 to 7, and we love these verses because they're Christmas verses, right? They're, uh, they're verses that deal with the deity of Christ and the, the arrival of Christ into the world, his first coming. But I want you to notice this, these verses of Scripture in the light of the prophecy, the context of the prophecy 
of God talking to you and I and talking to King Ahaz about trusting God. Amen? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom in order to order it and to establish with judgment and from justice from henceforth and evermore. Now, I need to close up this morning. Let me say a couple things about Isaiah 9, 6, 7. We're done. Why, why do I need to trust him as the Mighty God? Okay, well, number one, two sons were presented there were human sons. They needed to hear from the heavenly son. And so Isaiah, once again, by the inspiration of God, comes to them to inspire them. You can trust in God because he said, I'm going to tell you about something greater is going to happen. I want to tell you about a greater son, and that is my son, Jesus Christ. He said, I want you to know he's the son of God. I want you to know that he will enter this world, be the son of man, but he's always the son of God. He's perfect. He's infinite. He's eternal. He's immaculate. He's holy. He's wonderful. He's counselor. He's, listen, you're going to this group over here for counsel. He's your counsel right here. You're looking at this situation looks very bad because you're up to your neck in water, but Jesus Christ is wonderful, and he is wonderful. He's wonderful to you, and he's wonderful to me. He's wonderful in that he came to die for your sins and mine, but he goes on by saying, I want you to see something else, because you won't trust in me. He says, I want you to know that his name shall be called El Gibor. El Gibor means the mighty God. I want you to understand, you can trust God because God is mighty. God is on his throne. God will never fail. God will not be defeated. God is not, you know, will never be, un uh, be unseated. God will never be overthrown. God is on his throne. There's no challenge to God's throne. No one will defeat him. He defeats him by the word of his mouth. You can trust in him. And notice in verse 6, he tells us something very interesting. He says, the government shall be upon his shoulder. Now, governments were failing during those times. Just like today, governments are failing us. Politicians are human. They can make you all the promises they want. They're not going to fulfill them. They take credit for something that happened years ago, amen? But Jesus never fails. Of the increase of his government, notice verse 6. The government shall be upon his shoulder. Now he's talking about the millennium. And I'll say more about that when we get that chapter. He's talking about perfect peace and a perfect kingdom. And a perfect rule and Jesus is in charge. You don't have to worry about voting for president. Jesus is the president, amen? That's the millennium. The government shall be upon his shoulders. And I close with this. You know why you can trust our mighty God? Because his shoulders are big enough and strong enough to carry any weight or any burden. His shoulders are big enough and broad enough. You can hop on those shoulders and you'll be above the water. Amen? Amen. Keep your head above the water. Keep your head above the water. I'm in debt. Keep your head above the water. I'm up to my neck in trouble. Keep your head above the water. You don't understand the troubles I'm going through. I don't, but you can keep your head above the water. You don't understand I'm dealing with some situations where I don't have any answers. Keep your head above the water. How do you do that? Because you can trust in your Emmanuel. And you can trust in your rock. And you can trust the eternal counsel. And you can trust he's your mighty God. And that his shoulders are big enough and broad enough and strong enough to sustain you and support you. You say, Pastor, I feel like I'm so weak. Listen, as long as your neck is above the water, you can breathe. And as long as your neck is above the water, you have life. And as long as your neck is above the water, you have hope. And listen, if your neck is above the water this morning, you can get saved. There's a story I've read. I don't know if, we, if you had a chance, Brother Vaughn, to get that. If you don't, don't worry about it. But a story I read... There's a race in 2014. It was called the Clipper Round the World Race. 
It was a yacht race that a number of men were on. The yacht was a yacht race. It had nothing to do with the World Cup or anything like that. Or the World Race, whatever that is. And uh, these guys were expert in dealing with the high waters and uh, wind changes and getting the sails up and catching the winds. And Andrew Taylor was one of those men who had to get the sail up, get one sail down and another sail up, and they had to watch as, the, as, as things turned. And a sudden gust of wind, because it was very windy that day, blew and knocked Andrew Taylor into the water. Now, thankfully, he had a life vest on. They knew these were very trepidous situation. Andrew Taylor was bobbing up and down in that water, wondering what was going to happen. He was in water that was cold. Hypothermia was starting to set in. He felt the chill coming up from his feet all the way up, and he's just flaggling his hands just like that. Another one of the men contacted the, 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 the U.S. Coast Guard helicopter. Immediately, thank God for our Coast Guard, they got a helicopter out there, and they said, well, we can help you, but we need somebody to get a rope to him. Another one of his, his men jumped in the water with him with the same kind of life jacket there. But I want you to notice Andrew Taylor as we close, his face. Andrew Taylor made it out of there. His head was above the water. And you might be in some stormy waters right now, and you might be in a situation that you feel like you're going to drown and the coldness is setting in, but keep your head above the water. You can trust the Lord. And this morning, if you're not saved, you're not 100% sure you're saved and going to heaven, you can trust God to save you from your sins. And today, you can be born into the family of God. Keep your head above the water. Stay in church. Live for God. Read his word. Keep your head above the water.